Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild and Lift for Hope and USSF. And this is John Mike here. I'm finishing up my PhD in exercise phys. I've competed in Strongman. I write for major fitness and bodybuilding magazines, and I love pancakes. Nice. And I'm going to cancel that phone there. Pizza's calling. Already, yeah. um, We got got also here in a minute after a a bit of news, we got Kale back with us. So we're going to get to that and talk everything Strongman. So, Kale, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. What do you got for us, Lonnie? Strength and muscle sport news. Yeah, let's start with anger me. Oh yeah, we'll start with the news. Actually, you might find this interesting because Uh, with all the talk lately about how WADA and you know USADA have been getting more and more pushy and invasive, you know, with their policies. Believe it or not, this is from Nature Magazine. You know, and I don't know if a lot of listeners are familiar, but this is arguably like the the journal on Earth. You know, for science, huge impact factor. And um, there's an editorial in here, and I just want to share this and get your thoughts on it, you guys. Um, it says, uh, "Gather data to reveal the true extent of doping in sport." And then it goes on. This is from Roger uh, Pielka, Jr. Says drug cheats will not be tackled properly until anti-doping agencies do more to assess the actual scale of the problem. So, let me set this up. It says how many elite athletes take performance-enhancing drugs? Sporting bodies say that it's a very small minority, but a documentary broadcast in Germany last month suggested a much higher figure. Several Russian athletes claim that nearly all of their colleagues dope, and with the knowledge of officials. The World Anti-Doping Agency, or WADA, immediately launched an investigation, which is expected uh, to produce a report later this year. Uh, Let's see. It says, bodies such as WADA and the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, or USADA, say that they are doing all they can to deter doping, but they have so far neglected to carry out simple scientific analyses of just how widespread the problem is. uh, Or if they have, they have not published their results. This makes it impossible for the rest of us to assess whether anti-doping policies work at all. And he goes on to say, uh, we need a reliable measure of what proportion of athletes dope. It says the problem and the best way to manage it is is very different if it's only 1% of athletes who dope versus 50% who use. Uh, And then he goes on, he says... um, Again, pointing fingers at WADA, they simply do not gather the data to enable evaluation of how effective their policies are. This is despite uh, sporting bodies across the world spending an estimated 350 million U.S. dollars on their drug testing each year. Uh, He says anti-doping agencies suffer from a sort of institutionalized blindness. He's suggesting they don't want to know, you know, or if they do know how broad um, drug use is, then they they're not telling, you know, because then you'd be able to say you guys were spending $350 million on you, and what are you doing? You know, it's not working, for example. So let me wrap up. Um, why has there been no effort to quantify the issue of doping in sport? And if it has been done, why have they not published anything? Evidence suggests that the leadership of these organizations do not want to know the true extent of doping or their effectiveness in re- actually regulating it. And then he closes with, in the case of doping in sport, uncomfortable knowledge includes the possibility that doping among athletes is much more prevalent um, than is recognized and that anti-doping programs are not very effective. To me, that surprises only – it doesn't surprise any athletes. Yes. (laughs) My (laughs) thoughts too, right? I mean, I would honestly be more surprised if they, like, took a Russian and he was clean. Like, they reported, (laughs) you know – Right. Blah, 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 isn't on drugs. It'd be like, oh, my God. Right. You know, and, I mean, it's just w- widely known. I mean. 
Well, you so, know, I felt like thing with the Chinese. I mean, they're just yeah. I felt so. like the Russians were being honorable there. They're like, yeah. listen, everybody we know uses. Uh, you know, I don't know what where you're getting your uh, supposedly tiny fraction, small minority ideas, but that's not how it works. You know, I want to throw out some um, some science here, just early morning science. If you go back to um, General Strength and Conditioning Research, or position stand from August of 2009 um, on the, you know, um, anabolics and, like, growth hormone, you know, position stand, they clearly say, I mean, it's really not anything totally surprising. I mean, the overwhelming majority of people who use are not really athletes. Mm -hmm. They're they're the average gym rat that's doing it purely for cosmetic purposes. And if you look at what people are really like doing or, the, or the, the demographics of it, if you will. I mean, they're most of them that do use, they're highly educated. You know, they're, they're not like, you know, bums walking the street or, you know, or whatever it may be, but, you know, and people think it's, it's so rampant, mm-hmm. but the people that are actually in the industry, okay. Know that it's like, well, you, well duh. That's yeah. like Dave Tate had that classic thing about it when he was talking about, uh, you know, the, the same topic. About how most people that are using, you know, are just recreational users, and he's like, "Stop! If you're if if you're if you're using to get a two twenty five bench and a date, stop because you're making it fucking harder for the athletes right. to get it." People just want to use it just for vanity. Because <sighs> I just want like damn biceps. Yeah. Well, the worst I see is I hear people that they're like, "Well, I'm going to get back in the gym once I can find another cycle." Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you haven't even you don't even have the motivation to train. Yes. At all, so I don't know what you're expecting from this. Yeah, yeah, it's a good yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, you know, Rick Collins. I don't know, remember what episode it was, but uh, he's obviously a lawyer, and that's mm-hmm. his whole thing. I mean, he's all over Twitter all the time, educating people about, you know, yeah, the vast majority, like you're saying, John, is it's cosmetic use, it's recreational use, it's not people who are athletes at all, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, to the point of this news blurb, uh, I agree with you, Phil. I mean, I don't know. If it's purposeful, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, if it's true. I mean, with all of the talk and $350 million spent um, on doping, you know, anti-doping efforts and stuff, mm-hmm. if you don't know how many guys, what percentage of people actually do, like he's talking 1% or 50%, we have no clue. Uh-huh. So all this money's being spent, and you can't even tell if they're doing their job. Yeah, you know uh, whether yeah, you agree I mean, with yeah, it or yeah, not. You're right, Lonnie. I, I believe, like in the NFL, I don't think you can give a a, a drug test or even like a urine test unless you have a warrant. Uh-huh. You know, because the rules are just very stringent. And I mean, just like just like you said, it's it's really expensive for these types of tests. I mean, you look at you know the main type of test that that they use is called GCMS or gas chromatography mass spectrometry. I mean. The the average test may cost you know it's just on the low end say three hundred dollars three fifty, but I mean that may that may not seem like a lot but you multiply that by thirty forty fifty guys on on a, on a team and now you're talking thousands and thousands of dollars I mean why would you spend that type of money on that type of testing when one it's not gonna it's not as reliable as people think it is and two you're better off spending the money on other things like travel or equipment or yeah. you know other things that 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 could actually be used more for the athletes well it's almost yeah. like they're trying to maintain the facade in a way you know like let's say for example the russians are right and um, they probably are and let's say 80 percent or better you know of elite athletes are using performance enhancing drugs well you know that's a huge problem and it makes them look like they have egg on their face you know they don't want those numbers out they rather maintain the facade i think in a lot of ways that their you know their anti-doping efforts are keeping it down to a tiny minority you know it's like this vague suggestion that they're effective in what they're doing when like you were guys were saying i mean talk to athletes you know at an elite level that's yeah. it's absurd to say it's an well, it's a I tiny mean, minority even- they even talk to the ownership and the rules of the, like, the big three sports in the United States. I mean, one of, like, I don't know, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but I was working with a professional basketball player. And, uh, you know, part of that, he was a veteran looking to stay in the league for a few more years. Part of that was looking at the rules as far as drug testing goes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's blatant in the rules after your rookie season in the NBA, there was one hour of one day that they could test. They had the ability to test the athletes. And that date was set ahead of time every year. 
I mean, that's telling you right there that they don't want to pop you. You're a dumbass if you get popped. Yeah. You know, a year ahead of time, they said you need to be clean this hour. <sighs> well, know, if they pop so. everybody, there's no sport. Yeah. You know, uh, well, and it looks bad on the sport. And it looks whole, really bad NFL, for everybody. You know, the, the NFL heads don't want people to get popped. You know? yeah. It's a $9 billion uh, industry, for yes. Christ's sake. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. Yeah, it's in their best interest not to test them. When was baseball most popular? It was most popular right before all the shit came down with yeah. it. You know? Yeah. That's that's where it was. And it's it makes me think of uh, – I was talking to a, a friend's girlfriend once, and she was surprised when uh, she found out the, the sport of strongman is not tested. And I was looking at her just kind of not sure how to uh, <laughs> respond. And then that's when my friend said, it's called world's strongest man, not world's strongest man, not on steroids. Yeah. Which I thought was the best answer I've ever heard on this subject. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Right. You know, it's it's funny. In a similar tone, you know, uh, people will ask about bodybuilding competitions. They'll make comments like, oh, you know, that's, you know, powerlifting and bodybuilding. And I suppose you could bring strongman and other sports into this, too. They'll be like, those are the only sports that have a, have drug leagues. And I'm like, all right, just they're open competitions. That's as far as you're going to get everybody, you know, I yeah. think on board to state that sort of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Um but there are also specific leagues for guys who are, you know, supposedly natural. And I don't like that yes. word. It, that's got it's a loaded term. But anyway, yeah. there there is a spectrum here. You know what I mean? And yeah, and if it's not built into the name, if it's not built into the rule book, then that's not cheating. I mean, we might have some listeners really flip out about that kind of comment. But if it's not in the rules, then how? And then it's not by definition. It's not cheating. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think one of the things that always continues to be frustrating is it, it's always, at least at least to us, it's either, you know, strongman, powerlifting, bodybuilding, and yes, you could throw in baseball, and yes, you know, cycling is is, is, um, is always, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, comes up and about. Yeah, cycling. But no, one ever, but no one ever talks about these other sports, you know, uh, tennis, soccer, you know, all these other sports that, yeah, they do you use. And I'm, I'm not saying like everyone's, you know, jacked to the gills, but I'm just saying, you know, for recovery purposes, you know, hockey, you know, all these little types of types of sports that that people seem to just overlook. Even jack their VO2 overlook. max, you know, their aerobic capacity. The reason strength sports get called out so much is because. It's cosmetically obvious. It's mm -hmm. visually obvious, you know, mm -hmm. I think, or at least more obvious than, let's say, a cyclist or, a, like you said, one of those endurance athletes or someone who's their doping EPO to jack yes. up their red cell count and make their endurance ungodly. You can't really see that. You know what I mean? So it's less dramatic, and so the news yeah, likes to go like, after you know, the big no dudes. No one ever talks about tennis or, or even, like, the WWE guys. I mean, it's it's just – Everyone just is very narrow-minded in their thinking thing, and it's just these certain sports. And the fact is, it's not. It's all across the board. Yes. It's track and field. It's everything. Yeah. This track is a huge journal that this just came out in. This has a huge impact you know, on the scientific community, the medical community, and that sort of thing. And if people do, if this continues to roll, I mean, this is more of an editorial. Maybe it'll go nowhere. But if it continues to roll, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how things pan out. Because if they really do start providing numbers – on percentage of athletes, you know, elite athletes who use. And it wouldn't be, they were actually talking about some of the ways you could do this. It wouldn't be that hard. Like, how many people are in the Olympic Games? Take that. Okay, now you've got a total N. You know, you've got the total number yeah. of possible people. And then just sort of, you know, work backwards. And there are ways that you could estimate this stuff. And I don't know. I think, yeah, the anti-doping uh, groups, and I think WADA actually started after a cycling scandal. Yeah. I think it was cycling that brought that about. But well, anyway, it's been rampant for years. Oh, can oh, no. you imagine, though, blowing the lid off the real mm. numbers of how many athletes use if they could do that? Uh, it's yeah, gonna... but, you know, yeah, Lonnie, I mean, he probably knows well as everybody else. I mean, it, one of the problems with the ban on anabolics, it's very difficult to do the types of studies that, that need to be done in order to answer these types of questions, you know, because you have, you know, university IRBs and things like that. Or it's not it's not necessarily just like numbers, just other things. There was a study that came out. It was like last year. It was um, from guys in Europe. It was about almost kind of similar to what you're saying, you know, percentage of people that are using. And these were like non-athletes. Um, and some of the uh, sample cycles that they were on. And, it, I mean, it wasn't really anything shocking. But they, they looked at them over the course of, you know, 20 weeks. 
you know, six plus months or even a year and really not a lot of negative types of effects. Um, it, it was really interesting. And, and, and one actually came out, I think, in 2013, uh, 20 weeks. They were looking at about 600 milligrams. And this was in an older population, like a middle age, maybe 40s or 50s, you know, 20 weeks, 600 milligrams, uh, you know, a week. I mean, no sign of any type of, you know, negative health markers. Uh, yeah, that's the whole other side of it. I mean, if if a huge percentage of thousands and thousands of, you know, the majority of elite athletes are using and then studies. Yeah. You have to rely on a lot of foreign stuff or older stuff about the health effects. But I mean, if those all suggest, you know, this isn't the life destroying horror story that the media presents, then what? Right. Because now we have a lot of people on stuff. We have evidence suggesting, you know, that it's not always as damaging, maybe, you know, as the media likes to run with, and then, then what? You know, WADA mm-hmm. just is on sh- shakier and shakier ground as to why they even exist. Mm-hmm. I don't well, know. the The point is to then is to preser- preserve the sanctity and purity of the sport, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm of course kidding. There's never been such a thing, in my opinion. Sports yeah. never been about right. that. But I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the headline with uh, it's just like to put on a facade. Like let's take CrossFit; they do their own testing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh well, they're tested. It's like, and they go, oh, I don't think this person's on. I'm like, well, he should be then. <laughs> you know, like, oh, so I'm not going to name anyone's name, but you know, mm-hmm. anyone that's you know very dominant in their sport. It's like, oh, well, I don't, you know, th- well, they're tested, they're this. It's like it's they just need that facade. And then you take something like bodybuilding or powerlifting or strongman where it's, like you said, an open competition. And I say it that makes it the only honest sport. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I've said it for years. I mean, if I was an NFL owner, I would not tell my players to be on because it's against the law. But I would tell them, you better do whatever the fuck it takes to win. Because right. I'm paying you 150 exactly. million dollars a year. That's open. <laughs> you know? right. Being open, that was baseball in the 90s. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, you're you're getting paid millions to play a game. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> win me something. <laughs> win me something. <laughs> so right. um, it's a it's a joke. I mean, the only people who don't believe it, I mean, it's it's the uh, ill-informed you know masses that have been fed this. You're a cheater. You know. Well, you know, and again, you could hear some of that tone in the editorial that I was just referring to. And like I said, I think that's going to, you know, bring that to the forefront, Mm -hmm. I think, to a lot of, for lack of a better word, the nerds, you know, Mm -hmm. who they're so busy in their labs that they might not understand the grit, you know, and the training behind sport. Uh, And when this guy's calling for actual numbers, well, brace yourself, everybody, because if they come up with good ones. It's going to blow the lid off some things. Yeah. And the, th- the, the fact is you're not a cheater when everybody's cheating. Exactly. You know, and that's the – I would be hard-pressed to guess that anybody in professional and very high-level sports is not doing something on that list because it's so extensive. You know, and same thing with the NCAA list. It's like, holy crap. You know, I can only have four cups of coffee? You know. Yeah. But, I mean, NCAA – some of these rules are, are starting to change a little bit, but – They've got that rule that it can't be more than 30% protein by yeah. calories. <laughs> I mean, really? wow. Uh, so. Okay. It's a, I know that's a fun topic to talk about. Yeah. I want to touch on one more thing before we go to the, the topic of the day. The NPGL, which is the National Professional Grid League, which is, uh, I guess you would call it professional CrossFit. Um, they're starting up. They're getting ready for their new season, and they're bringing on new teams this year. And it's pretty interesting. One of the new teams picked up. Klokov as their first team member. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they've come out and said what they're going to do is they're going to fill their team up with specialists. So they're looking to pick up a, a gymnast from Russia and, you know, people from all around from different sports. And then uh, Willis McGahee is signing to a team, too, the 11-year multi-time pro bowler from the NFL. So that's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, if they start getting these big-name athletes and, and things like that, it, it's going to be interesting. So maybe they'll actually not go bankrupt in season two. So (laughs) paying for big name athletes before there's a big name, you know, big name sport is a bad move. But the way I see it, it's it's actually professional uh, exercise because people always talk, especially in, you know, strongman powerlift, you know, you're a pro this, you're a pro that. Yet you still have to pay your own way Mm -hmm. to a meet. That's not a professional athlete. And you can as an amateur, in my opinion, 
you can show up, you know, and win prize money. If you're a pro, you're paid to to show up. Yes. Exactly. So, which I mean, about the only sport out there, but prior to this, that's doing that is Highland Games. Yeah, you know, there's and, as close and, as you can get to pro, and very yeah. few people in strongman. Yeah, but so. very, very few and very few contests. Not enough to actually say it's like an actual pro thing. But you know, the majority of pros are still out of pocket to compete. Mm-hmm. So you're not a pro, in my opinion. Yeah, you're you're the best. You know, you're at an elite level and competing against the best. But professional athlete, no. Yeah. Hey, let me table this um, this listener question so we can get to Kale. He's been patient during our conversations and everything. Um, until next week. This is a pretty involved question from a listener. And let's table this till next time. Okay. That sounds good. Let's take a break and then come back to it. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press and Protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine US dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it uh, lower down the page. They have one hundred and eighty day rentals and one year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lonman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So, Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we are back after a short break there. I hope that we gave you some awesome things to listen to in the break. But anyways, uh, we're back with Kale Beck, and we're going to talk Strongman. But first, um, <clears throat> let's just talk about who you are. Give us a, uh, an intro, how you got started in things and stuff like that. Oh, so I get to talk about myself. I'm, yeah. I, I love doing that. That's awesome. <laughs> um, uh, basically, I just you know live out here in California, and I've always uh, – I've I've always wanted to be bigger my whole life. I've always wanted to be stronger, and I never was growing up. I was you know a small kid, and just you know then found weights. You know started lifting like most thirteen uh, year olds do. You know fourteen and doing all that kind of all that kind of stuff, and started getting more serious after I got done uh, racing some motocross when I was about nineteen or twenty. Uh, actually found uh, Phil on an old website that we frequented and he helped me a lot. And I asked all those, uh, annoying questions, you know, that, uh, clueless, uh, kids ask. And Phil was very helpful with that. And I, I found out what I, I got, I was always drawn to strongman, but I didn't know it was a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I knew it was something that's on TV and that you see, you know, people in Iceland do and all that, like 
a lot of people, but I didn't know that there was actual amateur competitions. I had no clue there was uh, weight classes, and then I came across on a on a message board a uh, a thread started by uh, Brad Cardoza, who at the time was a uh, lightweight pro strongman who had just competed at a, a World Strongest Man competition in China, and you know he's uh, light lightweight pro then was uh, 231 pounds and under. And I went, well, that seems obtainable. And it's not like I was a strong guy at all either. But I, I remember I, I stayed up like all night just trying to find info, like when's there going to be a contest near me? And I, I found one that was like an hour away from me that had just happened like a month ago. And I looked at the weights and I'm like, okay, so if I train for an entire year, I think maybe I'll be able to do those weights the next year and just kind of, you know, just started training for it. And uh wasn't good at all. Uh, the first contest I did, I zeroed every event but one. But even in zeroing them, like which means by zeroing it, I wasn't able to complete like the whole course. Like you had to complete the farmer's walk portion, the fifty feet to get a score. But you know, I maybe I you know carried them six feet. But even doing that was a PR. So I still like you know, even if I didn't load the stone, even getting into my lap was a PR. You know, it's something I had never done before in like the four months of training I had leading up to it. And uh, out of uh, probably more stubbornness than anything, I just kept doing it. You know, and the goal's like, all right, well, I'm going to go. And uh, my, my you know, first goal is to just not zero something in a contest, to be able to do every weight there. And then just kind of kept doing it. And about f- five years later, I won my first contest. And then, uh, uh, you know, went to nationals and all that. Uh, made some, you know, and, and then they ended up starting a, what is now the lightweight class, which is 175 pounds. And I'm five foot six on a short day, five, seven when I'm stopped uh, doing yoke walk and all that. So <laughs> one seventy five fit me a lot better. And, uh, I remember when I saw that, I'm like, okay, this is, this is what I need to do. And I trained for that. Uh, one California strongest man, 2012 at under 200, went up to Washington, won what's basically their state level championship. And that at the time was against, uh, the two time national champion runner up and who's the current guy who's at, you know, this is before he had won his two national championships, but Patrick Costelli. So that was a really stacked class. Went to nationals that year, got top 10, qualified for the Arnold, which was the first, uh, world championship for the 175 class. And uh, went over that, got sixth place, went to the second one in 2014 and really got hurt. And in between all that, kind of trying to grow the sport myself, I started a, a website, Starting Strongman, which is going really well. And the whole point is to make people like me who didn't know Strongman was a thing know that it's a thing and kind of get over that whole elitist attitude that's mm-hmm. so prevalent in strength sports like it's this club that you don't want anyone else to be in. And actually, <laughs> I, I feel like in order to grow sport, the first thing you need is uh, actual information on how to get started in it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been trying to do. Like, here's where you can find a gym. Here's where you can go find contests and just have like a central location that's just sharing information. So I've been working really hard on that over the past couple of years. And uh it's been a fun time and just, you know, coaching people. And that's pretty much what I'm doing full time because actually in uh, 2013, I got invited to go compete at China's Strongest Man. And I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure the first uh, under 200 pound strongman that was invited uh, and, you know, paid to go compete internationally, you know, paid to show up like we talked about yeah. previously. And uh, to do that, I had to basically quit my job because they wouldn't let me go so the the, you know the choice was uh keep working at this job that you hate that you've done for eight (laughs) years that's not really going anywhere or go get paid uh you know a you know a little bit of money to go to china which some place you probably never go your whole life if you don't right now Mm -hmm. so it's a pretty easy decision but you know it's scary and i'm very uh happy that i have a supportive wife behind me but you know, that was, I went and uh, kind of figured it all out when I got home and started this whole thing and kept the ball rolling and hoping uh, it's really picking up now. You know, we got like 8,000 members in the Facebook group just eclipsed and uh, oh, good amount of good amount of traffic on the website and all that. So it's fun. It's fun to do. You know, Kale. 
thank you for just letting people understand the concept of like it's a thing and there are weight classes you know <laughs> what i mean because yeah I'll, I'll talk to students sometimes and they'll be like oh t he dr lauer used to be a bodybuilder because you know they look at me i only i weigh like 220 pounds soaking wet you know and right. they they think oh you have to be some kind of super heavyweight you, if you're not yeah. anywhere near ronnie coleman you poss- can't possibly be serious you know that you're a bodybuilder <laughs> yeah and they don't and i'm like there's weight classes guys it's like wrestling or and i mentioned it's the same thing with you you know just educating people Listen, everybody doesn't have to weigh 300 plus, you know, mm-hmm. to do this. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I've, yeah. Actually, I've, I've had the same questions asked to me, you know, what, how do you get started? And, 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 you know, do you have to be a certain weight? And I'm like, no, I mean, they have 175 pound class. They have 200, 230. And, and some people have asked before, well, what's lightweight? And, you know, typically, um, you know, before just like, you know, Kel said, it, it was like 230. And then they look at me with such just like, jaw dropped you know face <laughs> and they're like oh wow like and they're only like you know 180 or whatever yeah. you know it's just they, they don't they didn't really understand that lightweight was actually heavier you know for straw man than it is you know many many other sports but like, but like, I, like I just said i mean you have 175 you have 200 so it's not like you're out of the picture <laughs> no. well and i'd say that's probably the biggest misconception in all strength sports and definitely strongman is that the the average populace has no clue that there's other weight classes aside from huge. Yes. You know? Amen. You know, because they just know, especially strongmen, they know what they see on ESPN. Yeah. You know, that's and, what they know as, as strongmen. And, and that's going to be the pinnacle of the sport. Obviously, the world's strongest man is going to be the world's strongest man, and that's going to you know, usually be the biggest man. That's mm-hmm. going to be the guys who are 350 and now you know 400 pounds is the norm. You know, That seems like a couple of years ago, 400 started being the new 300 mm-hmm. um yeah. and you know i i trained with uh, you know my good friend robert oberst we we now do our you know own podcast to mm-hmm. kind of keep doing it uh he's you know six foot eight 400 plus pounds and he's the exact opposite of me but we trained well together and we mm-hmm. both learn from each other because just because you're born the biggest doesn't mean you know like you also know the most either yeah. it's, it's just it's like oh well that's the thing i also love in strength sports is they're like oh well you know i actually had someone say this when i was uh someone pretty high up in the the sport too they said when i was starting to give advice and uh coaching people and starting uh you know i started starting strongman and all that is they said well you're five foot nothing and 175 pounds soaking wet what do you know about strongman Mm -hmm. which i thought i found hilarious but that's, that's the exact kind of uh like you know, a I compete at one seventy five. That's a very big difference between weighing one seventy five. But yeah, <laughs> um, well, and I mean, also it's you know it's it's relative too. When you're when you're deadlifting five hundred plus at one hundred seventy five pounds, mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah, you know, yeah. I still I still have a <laughs> you know, damn near three and a half times body weight deadlift. So yeah, so I, it's not like I didn't learn how to lift. Yeah, but. That's the exact kind of attitude that I'm trying to change, is what I'm doing now. And you know, kind of, I I took a little bit of time off from actually competing just because my body was wrecked after doing it for eight years and trying to compete at heavier weight classes as well. But you know, in my my the slogan I use for starting strongman is "strongman is for everyone," and I think that that can rub some of the veterans the wrong way. And they go, oh, well, you know, you have to do this. And it's like, I'm not saying that everyone's going to go to the world's strongest man or, or everyone's going to be able to compete at nationals. I'm What I mean by that is that it's still scalable. Yes. You know, an empty keg is 35 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, a rogue 10-inch log weighs 65 pounds. Pretty sure just about anyone can do that. Everyone can do a, you know, a drag a sled. Everyone can can you know, press, you know, a, a under hundred pound log or mm-hmm. carry an empty keg or do some dumbbell farmer's walk. They can do that style of training and get yes. that, you know, what, what someone's 400 pound press is, you know, another person's hundred pound press is the same kind of achievement for them. Everyone can do it to some extent is, yes. is what my, was what I mean by that. It sounds like yeah. to me, you're trying to lower the barrier to entry, right? I mean, that's gotta be a good thing. I don't know. Yeah, well, the, I think any sport 
that's ever gotten popular, and this goes back to when we were talking about the the Gridley earlier, is that any sport that's I think that's ever gotten popular has gotten popular through participation. Uh huh. You know, like baseball's pretty damn boring, but we all played it growing up, so then we watch it. So if you you need more people to have participated in it to some extent in order to understand what the elite are doing mm-hmm. in order to appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, baseball, football, and basketball aren't popular just because they're professional. It's because everybody can play it, right. you know, on any street corner, <clears throat> you know, and that has. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's and it's making people realize that. I mean, that's just like with powerlifting. I have. I have nine-year-olds. I have 65-year-olds, and they train as if they're powerlifters, mm-hmm. you know, and they can go compete because as long as they can pick up a 45-pound bar, you can do it, you know. It's, it's a, strength sports in, in and of themselves are very scalable. You know, yeah. the objects itself weighs so much, and then you just put more on for your ability. You know, that's the neat thing about, about lifting is it's, you know. Relative. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's all relative. The scalability is damn near infinite, you know. So... I mean, you'll never, you can almost not be weak enough to do it, and you'll never be, you'll never win. <laughs> you know, there's no. always two and a half more pounds, you know, no matter what. I mean, Benedict Magnuson picked up, what, 1,018? Well, put 1,020 on the bar. <laughs> you know, you just lost. You know? Yeah, and the, the problem <clears throat> is once you get to that level, like, I think he, yeah, he, he did that, you know, 10, 15 a couple years ago. Yeah. And then they had the World Deadlifting Championships uh, last year, mm-hmm. and he did like ten sixteen with straps. And I, I remember I saw like a couple people, you know, on the internet say like, "Oh, well, with straps and three more years of training, he only added one pound." Mm-hmm. It's like, do you understand <laughs> like how hard it is to get yeah. like exactly. to get to that perfect day? Like once you're yeah. the that's yeah. the it's fun when you're starting. You can just add five pounds every week <laughs> and just keep progressing for yeah. a year. And then I'm at the point where it's like. You know, I'm 29 years old, and I'm I'm not sure if I'll ever hit some of the best numbers I ever hit again. Yeah, you know, is is like the mentality I'm at. I'm not saying I won't. You know, you don't know, but it's like it just gets that much harder to even just keep at your peak. Yeah, but yeah, and that's that people definitely don't understand that. You know, I think yeah, the more people that you know participate in it to some extent, even if they don't compete, even if they just you know, like I've I've taught a couple seminars here, and you get someone to like put a log over their head for the first time or the first time they load a stone and it might even just be a hundred pounds, but you know, they smile and they look on the, you know, they have that, that, uh, look of achievement. And that's, that's a reason. Like when I said I went into contests, never have even done the weights before is that's what I love about strongman is it's a set weight and you either can do it or you can't. Mm -hmm. And there's been plenty of times where I went into a contest like, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to do that. And then when you go and you actually do something, you weren't sure, you know, when it when it matters and you go out and you lift something that you weren't sure you were going to be able to do, mm-hmm. it's there's there's just nothing. Not not that's a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, you're always so much stronger on contest day too. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, you can have like bad days. I mean, I, I've had some bad, you know, contests and stuff, but yeah. I mean, typically you're so much stronger on contests just because you're jacked up and, you know, there's people watching and things like that. But, you know, yeah, it just, it's, it's very scalable. And, um, you know, people think, well, you know, I, I, I mean, just like you said, Phil, I mean, you're never, you're almost like you're never like too weak. You can always do something. And because, because most of the, most of the implements, you know, they're, they're not a, they're not a set weight empty. You know, you don't, I mean, you do have, uh, logs that are um you know 240 empty but you also have logs that are 60 empty so it doesn't really matter you know hey let me ask all you guys because i'm just ignorant about this but what's the difference between off-season weights and when you compete i imagine i mean it's not like you're trying trying to get the maximal leanness or something like that but i mean if you're a 175 um, are you walking around in the off-season at what weight uh 185 to 190 okay so you come down and then to you know t- 24-hour weigh-in, so mm-hmm. it's not that hard. I, I found if I cut from more than, uh, like, 185 pounds, it's hard because I think it's a little for strongman because it's, you know, the, in powerlifting there's nine lifts and it's very static. Yeah. You know, in, strong, in, in strongman there's going to be a lot more, uh, you know, aerobic work thrown in. <laughs> so I found that it's harder to cut as much. I think it's you can't cut as much weight and recover. Mm-hmm. 
as yeah. easily because you know if you're in the middle of a medley and you're you're you can cramp up a lot easier from being dehydrating yourself too much yeah. but i also i've found i can't walk around much under 185 comfortably like it's hard to keep my body weight that low so uh, when I got back from China, I actually competed at nationals the week after. And I know some people going like, oh, so you're going to go to China. I'm like, yeah, well, I have to, like we were saying earlier, I have to pay a lot of money to, you know, travel everything to go to nationals. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to turn down that opportunity. So when we we're in China and then they, they took us to all these different like banquets and they're just feeding us. I came back like six days out from when I have to weigh in. Like 196 pounds. Mm. <laughs> like, oh, this is gonna suck. <laughs> and of course, you know, from all the travel and then got sick and all that, so that was fun. But yeah, that that, that was you know people. I've gotten accused of cutting a lot of weight, and there's people that cut from over 200. But I, I feel like if you're gonna do that, if you're pretty much already where you'd have to cut to one weight class, and you're completely bypassing that to cut all the way down, that's too much. Just compete at like 200 than if you weigh 205. But yeah, yeah. yeah I, I wondered. Think, I guess I, think I just about wondered. 10 pounds is good. Yeah, if it was like wrestling or that sort of thing, you know, talk to wrestlers and be like. I can't go one weight class up. Those guys are monsters. They're coming down from 30 pounds heavier. You yeah. know what I mean? And so when you make <laughs> yeah. that jump, it's I'm sure it's scary. I don't know. And on that point, like when I see a lot of people like I the only time I would cut that much weight is either to qualify for nationals or compete at nationals or like the Arnold, which is the world championship. I'm not cutting weight to compete at my local contest. Yeah. You know, I'm not cutting 15 pounds to go compete at my local contest. Mm-hmm. If I want to be a world-class or national-class athlete, I better be able to hang one or two weight classes up at the local level. And that's the advice I always give people. Like, If you want to be the best in the world at 175, you're, you should be able to probably win a local 231 show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, yeah, I mean that's. And I was just going to add in. I mean, it also depends on, like, if somebody's cutting a two thirty one, they can probably get away for a, a little more than ten pounds. Yeah, you know, like two seventy five guys in powerlifting, it's it's nothing to cut twenty. Right, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a poop and no, no drinks for a couple <laughs> days. You know? Yeah, and on the same so, on the same, you know, a hundred. Someone's trying to make one twenty in a girls' class. You know, yes. one twenty five. You know, it's a percentage. I think. Yes. Yeah, it seems like two thirty one. Uh, it seems like like two forty two, two forty five, like a a good weight walking around weight from a lot of the yeah. higher level guys that compete at that. So yeah, it's a percentage for sure. So, you know that's true yeah. with anything that's weight management related. You know sometimes I'll talk to people and if you're if like if I work with a big guy and you know we like you just said Phil, I mean that's like take a dump and you know and watch what you eat for a couple of days or something you know you get somebody who's like 280 or 300 pounds 20 pound swings that sounds like such a big number to the average person but it's just really not to the no to the big dudes you know i had a i had a client this week that's 300 pounds and he lost like 13 pounds in a week yeah and yeah it's like oh okay no no big deal like kale said percentage you know yeah so um so what would you suggest i mean how do you, do you have a suggested like baseline of like barbell strength that people should have or uh, um, that's that's always that's always the question there and mm-hmm. it's, it's such a rough one to answer cuz it's so like before that so the question like what they should be at for what level before they can mm-hmm. want to compete at all is like there's you know there's novice classes and mm-hmm. That's going to vary from region what they're going to end up weighing. My, my advice is if you want to compete in strongman, just keep getting stronger, but yeah. start doing the implements because you're going to get stronger from doing the implements. Exactly. And also you're going to get used to it. Like I wasn't the strongest guy when I was starting out, but I knew if I could get my technique better on these events, I can get my technique better in a day where you know, getting stronger takes years. Mm-hmm. So I tried to be very tactical on uh, my lifts and I was able and I beat lots of stronger guys mm-hmm. or you know, stronger and bigger guys, you know, earlier on just cuz you know, like my I was, you know, my log press technique and or whatever was just better and they just weren't as familiar with it. You mm-hmm. know, there's speci- specialization in sport as part of it, but I'd say you know, like a 200-pound guy should, you know, if you it's probably want, you know, 500 deadlift and, like, 225 overhead press is a good starting point. But just look at, like, the contests that are coming up in your area. It's going to say what all the weights are. Yeah. And just 
kind of go from there and, and just know like it doesn't translate like you know i always get like uh, like a thing like a car deadlift like we have a there's like a frame that the back end of a car sits on and you got handles out the end of it mm-hmm. people go oh well how much uh you know in order to deadlift that car how much should my barbell deadlift be and it just doesn't correlate at all because there's so many variables it's on a lever mm-hmm. you don't know how 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 far out are the handles how high are the handles how much does the actual frame that the car's sitting on weigh like exactly. if you're gonna you know like how thick you know how much flex is in the metal like i see some people and i i had this problem like in 2010 i, I would have won nationals if I had deadlifted the car and I didn't train it because I thought it was a really good event for me. And I'm like, Oh, well I have all this ground to make up in these other ones. So I'm not going to really focus on that one. And I, and I missed it and I was shocked in it. And I realized that the frame at nationals for the car is 600 just itself before they mm-hmm. put the car on it. So it does not flex. Yeah. And I see, I see these people, they go, Oh, well it's a Corolla, a Corolla in tech, uh, you know, some show in Texas with the, a thin walled frame with handles that are all high and it, it, the whole thing flexes before you actually break it. It's going to be completely different than a Corolla at Nationals with that heavy frame that yeah. doesn't budge. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. That's that's almost like what happened to me at one contest. I mean, and they they set the they set the car and the frame different for each weight class mm-hmm. and for the lightweights. Like some of these guys, and, and I was competing at the time. I was middleweight, but for the lightweight guys, I mean, they were getting like you know twenty twenty five reps, and then they and then the heavyweights, the middleweights come on and they move the damn car so damn close, and everyone's getting you know ten. 12 reps and I got like five and almost passed out yeah. and you know and I, I just like you said Kale, I, I didn't train the car deadlift because one I didn't really have access to it but two I mean my deadlift at the time was it was fairly solid so you know I kind of suffered on that event a little bit but um yeah and I, I had somebody ask me like last week you know because I did 315 farmers you know last week that's the first time I had done farmers in, in, in almost a year um and somebody asked me you know if they wanted to start competing in strongman are there any standards you know in terms of what weights that that you should be able to do in terms of the actual implements and you know i said something really similar just depends on the contest depends on where you are what the promoters are put out in terms terms of the weights but i think if you're you know anywhere in the in in the two the low to mid 200s for you just like farmer's walk Mm. you know it's, it's, it's a pretty good starting point i mean there's i mean obviously you know the more you can do, you know, the better, but there has to be, there, there's some type of like lower end standard that you should be able to do because let's face it, you should be able to, to lift. If you're serious enough about it, you should be able to lift a certain amount of weight for the implements itself. Um, mm-hmm. just ac- across the board, you know, like minimum standards, you know, 250 farmers, you know, 200 law, 225 log or whatever it may be, you know, 500 yoke or, you know, there's certain things that you should, hit just to try and stay competitive again depend it depends on what contest you're doing and Mm -hmm. where it is i mean you know a local contest is going to be much much different than a national contest yeah it's i I, i've been asked and i i guess i just need to put an article out there just because i get asked that all the time on like kind of like standards but the thing I also say is that if you compare yourself to – if you're trying to compare yourself to yesterday's standards, then you're going to be at yesterday's standards as well. Mm-hmm. Like it constantly progresses. So if I write that article, a year from now it's going to change. Yeah. So it's just kind of – and that's the progression of sport. But um, yeah, well, you, you should be fairly strong. Like you know, you should probably have your – you know, at least – I guess for like a novice level, you should have over a 400-pound deadlift. You're – your overhead press should be around 200 pounds mm-hmm. to be able to do, you know, 400 pound plus yoke and like 200 pound farmers would be about it. Well, I think, I mean, it's, you can't deny that you just have to train the implements. That's mm-hmm. like, I, I competed in a strongman years ago and I haven't done it in a long time. And last year in October, I was in an event where we had to do keg loading and stuff like that. And barbell wise, I was much stronger than I ever was when I competed strongman. But you know the kegs and stuff. I I was not near as good, just because I hadn't done them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, well, yeah, there is transfer, but to get it's good a sport. At the events, you just have to do them. Yeah, you, you know. I mean, oh, I mean, yeah. If, if you're gonna play ten, if you want to play tennis, you're gonna practice tennis. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I think one of the biggest. I think you know. I've talked to you know one of my one of my friends is actually um, is a 
pro. I, mean, I believe he is. Um, his name is John Posen, but he lives here in yeah. Albuquerque. And got uh, third in America's Strongest. Yeah, player. exactly. So I, 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 I've trained with him several times, and um, you know, he and I are on, on different schedules. But you know, anyway, um, it, one of the things that we've always talked about, and, and I'll and I'll say this, and the, as I've gotten a little bit older. I actually agree with this. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make, and I and I totally agree that yes, you do have to train the events and the implements, but I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is training the events too often and you know and, and too much. You don't need to do stones every weekend, no, or, or yoke every weekend. I mean, hell, I mean, it's like I just told you, I just did farmers walk for the first time in the year, you know, and and I'm and and I I I, I was better at. It. You know, now granted, I, I've, I've done 325 for 30 feet, you know, but then I, I've done, I did 315 for two sets of six, 60 feet each, you know, so you don't need to train the events all the time. And I think when people do that, that's when you start getting injured. That's when you start getting hurt and beat up. And then when you go into your next contest, you know, you're just not going to be able to perform, you know, is it, it, the best that you can. So I think the, on the front end, Yes, you need to do the events a little bit more often, but as you've competed more and gotten stronger, it's almost as like, you know, you kind of progress to not doing the events as much because you're you're efficient at it and you know the technique. Okay, you know no, what? I, Let me ask Kale that's then. That's a very good point. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, Kale. So how often, if it's not like riding a bike, like Phil, like you said, if it's riding like a, if it was like riding a bike, Phil would be able to toss kegs like he always did, you know, no, even though he's stronger. So you got to keep some skill in it. You know what I mean? It's not like you can try it once, feel like you master it, and it'll be there forever. So how often do you do the skills practice versus, you know, the barbell work, let's say? Well, like uh, Mike was saying, I think it, it's dependent on how advanced you are. If you're just starting out, you need to learn the skill before you worry about practicing it. So let's just say, you you know, you're competent and you have your form down and the technique down on the events – I can I actually like stop training stones mm-hmm. because they just kept beating me up and and then like I just I was so injured that anytime I I tried to lift a stone like leading up to nationals in 2013 I just felt like I got hurt oh. so I just I'm like well I'm just not going to train them at all and I showed up to nationals and I did the stone for eight reps and it was the best I've done in competition and in, in loading stones and then a couple months later I did. A series, and I'd never loaded, you know, on 175, and I'd never loaded like a 300 plus pound stone in a series. And I did a series in under 20 seconds with like a 330 at the end, mm-hmm. just because, you know, I have, you know, a 600 pound deadlift. I'm plenty, you know, my back strong and I know how to lift a stone. They just beat me up. And that's going to be dependent. There's some pros, but basically, how what I do is it's not that I don't train them frequently. I still tell people to train them every, like, probably about three events every week, but I don't, I don't like, them trained very heavy you don't need to train at contest weight like I, I think one of the major mistakes people make in strongman is they like a contest weight will be though you know the events will be announced on the what you know on the entry form you know 16 weeks out people see it has like a let's say it has a 700 pound yoke and a 300 pound stone for reps they're gonna they, they see that on thursday they're going to show up to event training on Saturday and be like, all right, I'm going to try to do a 700 pound yoke and a 300 pound stone for reps. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that's like in powerlifting. If you're like, I have a goal of hit, you know, hitting a 700 pound deadlift, right. I'm 12 weeks out from my meet. I'm going to go try to hit a 700 pound deadlift. Where do you go from there? Yeah. I'm going to hit a 700-pound deadlift every weekend until the meat gets here. That'll be really good at it. <laughs> Yo, oh, well, I need to know I can do it to show up. No, you don't. Yeah. Like, you need to, you know, get fast at 500, you know, yoke, and then keep progressing and just do like a, a you know, linear pure, you know, linear progression works. So the yeah. same applies to strongman. So I, I like to do it like that. And I might, like, if I'm going to do like a 12-week prep, especially like i'm gonna take an event that like takes a lot out of me like i'm i keep saying yoke walk because it's something that if i do yoke i'm pretty burnt if i do a heavy yoke so i'm gonna hit contest weight you know two maybe three times like maybe you know basically like once a month yeah so it's just like but i'm still gonna practice the movement like most you know like most people do like you practice the movement at 80 percent. like a lot of people lift you know if you're gonna do squats you do kind of like the 70 to 85 range a lot you know mm-hmm. then it should still be the same thing so basically like i like to pick like one moving event one like uh loading event 
and you know maybe something else like a medley or a pressing event every like every weekend is usually best and mm-hmm. so my opinion no good to know i i had no clue about that stuff it makes sense like you said once you have the skill again being relative i hate to make this whole show well it's all relative but <laughs> you know it does make sense that once you have the skill even if it's not quite like riding a bike yeah you get back at it you just don't well, and I mean, it. I'd even argue, you know, it is kind of like riding a bike because so I was still able to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it only took me a few sessions of doing it again to get good at it again. So, I mean, the skill wasn't totally lost, but it was like, holy crap, man, that a 300 keg should be easy for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> I used to throw them around like nothing. And now it's like, oh, man, that's a whole lot different. So well, you could still do it. Yeah. And then like four <laughs> sessions later, it was like, OK, I'm flying through this thing. You know, yeah. I, I remember how to do this again. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, when you do the events, I mean, just like, you know, just like Kale said, it's it's like everyone thinks you have to train it heavy all the damn time. No, you fucking don't. Mm-hmm. You know, go, you know, go, go light, go do some speed work. I mean, you can do the events and do speed work because, you know, a lot of times when things get really heavy, that's when the, that's when the skill comes in more, but also the speed work comes in, almost becomes more important. Yeah. And just like anything else, I mean, let's say you have a 700 yoke because that's what we were talking about in the competition coming up. Well, you're going to do that one time in competition. Why not yeah. go for 500 and let's do three or four runs with it? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and you're, you're going to. good at it. Yeah, yeah just know? get some extra volume in. Yeah. And so. you're building up sports-specific conditioning yes. as well. Like, you know, people always talk about, I think, you know, they talk about conditioning work and they go, oh, we'll drag a sled or whatever. It's like, like if, you, if you're a power lifter and you want to work on your conditioning, maybe you should squat a lot. Yeah. So then you're good at squatting because that's the actual that's what you need conditioning for and the same with strongman it's like well i need conditioning for strongman there's nothing more nothing carries over more than the movement itself so if you can do like like i i do and i was talking to you know robert Oberst about this too is like you're getting back in the swing of things we'll do like every minute on the minute like farmer's walk mm-hmm. with you know, like 60 percent. so he you know for him he's saying he's doing like he's telling me like he did 10 minutes so every minute he does, you know, 260-pound farmer's walk, and then he carries a 240-pound cake back. Mm-hmm. You know, and he does that. So then, you know, there's 30 seconds left, and then he does it again. Yeah. For, you know, he's he's getting prepared for worlds doing that. Like, yeah. you know, obviously they're going to be heavier there, but he knows, like, you also have to realize that worlds is like a two-week-long contest. Yes. So he needs to, you know, if you do an event and you don't recover, you're not going to do very well. So yeah, now you're in you trouble. build up that sports-specific conditioning. Yeah. Well, let's let's we're getting close to the end here, so let's tell everybody you know the website where they can go, what all they can find, stuff like that. So, yeah, if you if you want to get started in strongman, and like I said, everyone can do it. It's for everyone. Just go to startingstrongman.com. You can find the you know Facebook page, Starting Strongman, Instagram, all that, and pretty easy to find me on the internet too. And uh, you can email me at kale at startingstrongman.com. And also uh, we have. Like I said, the own podcast as well. We just started with a pro strongman, Robert Obers, world strongest man competitor. It's called Strong Talk Podcast. It's on iTunes, and you can find links on uh, the startingstrongman.com website as well. That's cool. cool. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. Go yeah, back good to sleep. Stuff. Yep, thanks, guys. <laughs> I'm, 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 thanks I think I'm going to go squat. There you go. So, Thanks for coming <laughs> Until next time, guys. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations, protein powders that we know to be good, 
uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.